Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Noelle Maring. She is a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. She's also the author of a book we're going to talk about today called Awake, Not Woke, A Christian Response to the Cult of Progressive Ideology. She's also the co-author of Theology of Home, both volumes one and two, and she also writes on culture, politics, and religion. More importantly, she's a wife and mother of six. All those other things are secondary. Uh, Noelle, thanks for joining us today. It's great to be here with you. Um, So you wrote this book. I mean, we all, you know, everybody's heard, you know, we're living in this woke culture. It's almost like a woke religion, but maybe for people listening Could you define the term woke? I mean, I know about the social justice and how people are acting, but sometimes people may have heard it many times, but just don't understand what it means. I think the simplest definition is just that it is a state of being alert and attuned to the layers of oppression in society. It originated specifically with regard to racism, but has since expanded to include sexuality, gender, um, all the hot button issues. So, and I contrast that with the concept of being awake, because I do think that the woke is an ideology that is a partial truths, totalized, even though we reduce the human person, but then also totalize ideology to become a filter through which we see the whole world. Whereas awake, I think is what we're called to, how we're called to think as Christians with theological reality, philosophical principles, scientific reality, and very relevantly today, embodied reality. Critical thinking is not a strong suit of people anymore, right? We've, we've, everybody just kind of marches in line and does what they hear on social media or on, you know, wherever they hear it, right? Through the, you know, the educational system where people are trying to, you know, constantly push their own ideology. So I think the awake part is look, if we don't become awake, it's even going to get worse, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And um, and that's a, the thing is that it, it seems like this is, you know, a, a cultural revolution that's, you know, bloodless and to, or seemingly bloodless, although I do think that there's human casualties for sure. Um, but but I think it's really hard to see it. And so I, I think that's in regard to what you're talking about, that we're so propagandized. We have so many slogans. We have so much media affecting the way we view everything. Um, and the school, the school systems are oftentimes not not doing any favors. And 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 actually doubling down on that effort to kind of reduce the way that we think. Um, so, yeah, it's really important to start seeing this uh, more clearly and, and, and really stepping outside of, of the time in which we live and trying to analyze what's happening and see it with a real clarity of truth. Well, and I think you did such a good job of, you know, just kind of going through the chronology of how this began. You know, you talk about uh, Hegel, you talk about Marx, you talk about the Frankfurt School. Um, you know, all these things, I think sometimes people think, you know, they woke up one morning and this just happened, but this has been in the works for a long time, hasn't it? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it, it, it seems like it's on everyone's radar now because it's escalated and sort of exploded. But, um, you know, for a long time, I think we just thought it was something in the ivory towers of academia. You know, it's just something that happened on college campuses. And the assumption was that once these kids get into the real world, then they will you know, kind of snap out of this kind of social justice, identity, politics stuff. And I think we've seen the opposite happen, whereas those 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 kids that actually are the ones, you know, beginning to take over the levers of society. And I think the older guard is sort of intimidated because there's, there's, such, a, there's such a militancy to 
that sort of ideology that they, you know, they want to be on the right, the quote, right side. And um, so it gives this, this group, which, you know, the true radicals, I think, are, you know, a, a minority in number. But they really are able to develop quite a bit of dominance because of how militant the, the, the ideology tends to make them be and how, um, you know, they have ca- tools in their playbook or playbox, that toolbox that we, are, we don't have. Um, so they're willing to silence dissent. They're willing to cancel dissent. They're willing to dominate, you know. Um, and, and I think that we've been caught off guard by how, how militant it's become. But you're right. It's been there's a long intellectual history to all this, towards all this. The writing is quite clear. It's very clear what their what their goals are and what they what they ultimately want. Um, we just have to be willing to read what they what the the writings have been. You've made such a good point. You know, it is about power and dominance. You know, there's this uh, facade that they actually care about. You know, racism and and I think people involved in the movement do, whether it's racism, mm-hmm. feminism, sexualism, whatever it may be. Um, but in reality, the the people behind this really it's about power and dominance and having people cower to whatever they want. And we, you know, what was it this week? I think the NFL came out and said and had a commercial. The NFL is gay. The NFL is trans. I mean, I, I almost thought it was a Babylon B thing. But in the end, right, the Babylon B is 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 almost behind the craziness. Yes, I think that's right. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think you make an excellent point, which is that you know the average person I think that's swept up in this probably does have good intentions. I have people, in my family, in my in my friendship circles, who are incredibly good, um, considerate, well-meaning, compassionate people, um, and I think that the movement really play preys on that sort of instinct to be compassionate and to walk with the marginalized. These are Christian precepts, um, and and I think what but but it's very confusing in the way it sweeps people into it. So it preys on that sort of instinct to walk with the marginalized, and then introduces all these disordered principles that really have all sorts of implications and, and effects that I don't think that most people anticipate, and they can't believe that the movement actually believes the, to the degree that it does the sort of more radical aspects of it. So. Um, it's good to make that distinction that there are people all along a spectrum of how radical they are in this movement. But, um, but yeah, but yeah, when you talk about the NFL, I mean, and when the, even over the past month, just the corporations reaching out to me to make sure that I know how much that they're celebrating, you know, homosexuality, it's just so bizarre. You know, it seems like that we've we've done so effectively uh, made the American flag seem tarnished, you know, with sort of this um, stain of racism. And what we've done is replaced it with the rainbow flag. And it's really become our new civic religion. Um, we fly in our, on our embassies all over the world. You know, we have all of our corporations, all of our institutions um, flying this flag. It's it's so bizarre and cultish when you step outside of how used to it we are and, and really look at it. Um, but I think we need to see it in that way and just see how strange this all is, you know, and disturbing. Well, it really is. And, you know, they do kind of classify, right. And I think you did a great job in the book, you know, talking several times, you know, there's classes, right. The oppressed and the oppressor, right. It really is. It's not about the person. It's about the group and the person be damned. It's not, it's not a self selfless, movement. It's a selfish movement. And it really is all about making people cower. And, you know, it reminds me, uh, you know, I was reading a book from your, uh, by your friend, Carrie Gress, who wrote, you know, the anti-Mary, right. Exposed. Yep. And, 
she had a, and I just want to read this because it just, it, it has always stuck in my mind and I've done it on many presentations. She talks about, you know, what was going on with feminism and Kate Millett and the gang in the, in the early seventies. And this was their mantra to start every meeting. You know, why are we here today to make revolution? What kind of revolution, cultural revolution? How do we make a cultural revolution by destroying the American family? How do we destroy the family by destroying the American patriarch? How do we destroy the American patriarch by taking away his power? They ask, how do we do this? By destroying monogamy. And how do we destroy monogamy? By promoting promiscuity, eroticism, prostitution, abortion, homosexuality. And it's almost like, you know, this isn't a small group chant in this anymore, right? This, they are getting mainstream, even people of religion, all, you know, maybe not chanting this because they know this is what they're chanting, but this is actually what they're saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that through all, and it wasn't even just that group of women. I mean, they write time and time again about the importance of corrupting the family, particularly through the role of fatherhood. Uh, and that's why I make fatherhood a bit of a focus towards the end of my book, because, yep. um, you know, once the father is corrupted, then the wife becomes distrustful, cynical, calloused, and that allows her to become more corrupted because, you know, women have to develop a callous in order to, um, you know, give their bodies away. And then the children be become rebellious and um, suspicious and cynical because the people most beholden on them to, you know, shepherd them through life have become moral, so morally compromised. Um, and it's, and the, so the, this is the, the introduction for a child into the love of God is through the, the, the unit of the family. And the, the revolutionaries were right. You know, you corrupt the father, you corrupt the family, you get to God, you get to, you know, you, you corrupt all, everything else, a whole, all of society, all institutions start to crumble. Um, and, and so, you know, it was utterly premeditated, designed in a way that seems pretty diabolical, you know, and it was, it, 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 it created a whole host of social pathologies and then points to so those social pathologies and says, Oh, look, we need, you know, more socialism or look, we need um, to, to, to destroy the patriarchy because of the Me Too movement. Well, a society with corrupt men is not in excess of manliness. It's in want of manliness. Right. But um, the, because the truly manly man is a holy man. And um, and once you you corrupt that understanding of what a man is, then, you know, we're going to have a society with abuse and exploitation and all these all these things. Um, but the ideology really introduced this into society. Onto and and in a way that put it on steroids, you know. I mean, of course, it's been with us through the the fall of man, but um, they exacerbated and exploited and um, and and introduced all of these problem pathologies into the into our culture, uh, and now they're using them as evidence of furthering their own ideology. It's totally bizarre and frustrating. <laughs> it really is, and I think you know the importance. You know, you said before, right? They have a toolbox. They have a lot of tools. They have a lot of things at their arsenal, but we have Jesus Christ. And when you live in a world, right, where Jesus Christ is, gets minimized, it just opens ourselves up to what you're talking about. And you know what? If we're parents or grandparents, we ought to be really concerned for our children, shouldn't we? We should be. I think we there, there's, we no longer can remain neutral. I think we all have to realize that this fight is coming for all of us, and it's beholden on us all to resist it. Um, so I think we do have to be warriors, but I think we have to be happy warriors, right? You know, so we we need to be walking through the world with uh, a, a lot of joy and courage. When you take Christ out of the equation, there there's like a vacuum, and evil is ready to pass. This is 
demonic. I mean, in the end, there's it feels like, um, you know, people are just embracing Marx and this is just cultural Marxism. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think in some ways it, we've been able to hold it together because even as our, sec- our culture grows more secular, there's still sort of this framework of the Christian understanding of the dignity of the person and, you know, uh, you know, certain human virtues that the church has really introduced into the world and are pretty specific to Christianity. Um, but, you know, it's like that old, there's a Flannery O'Connor quote I have in there somewhere that I'll paraphrase that tenderness alone no. without Christ leads eventually to the gas chamber, you know. We can't just exist on a be kind campaign or, you know, something like that, um, that we really are spiritual beings who look for a religion. And I think that's what's happening now is that this has become the new religion. Uh, and you see it, you know, the way they talk about um, the transgender movement, really, there's something mystical and magical in the way that they talk about it, how you could just speak into existence, your new identity, you know, just in defiance of your body. And um, these are really so are, are kind of religious ideas, and, you know, false religions as a religious ideas, but religious nonetheless, and there's a spirituality to it. And I think that's why we see the rise of like Wiccanism and, you know, people want to have some sort of spiritual thing going on. Um, so, so I think we need to be clear about that. This is a spiritual battle um, and be warriors in that front, but be happy warriors, you know, joyful and confident and also drawing all of our act, uh, everything we do in the world from a, a deep interior life with God. And if you think of the first three fruits of the spirit, love, joy, and peace, right? I mean, that backs up exactly what you're saying. If, if you love Jesus and are trying to build a deeper relationship with him, you are, there is going to be a happiness, a joy. The other thing is when we have the, and embrace the gift of the Holy Spirit, there's a unitive peace, right? It's unity. And we have exactly the opposite. So if that doesn't speak volumes about where we are, as we move away from Christ, you know, it used to say, you know, people were leaving the church and, be- and becoming nuns, you know, N-O-N-E-S. Mm-hmm. They are becoming something, right? They're becoming part of the woke religion. They're just not abandoning it altogether. They're creating their own, which is, you know, a recipe for disaster for some, because in the end, they are going to be miserable. And, you know, as we see, right, uh, suicide rates are up, depression we just can't all contribute this to COVID, although that played a part. It really is when when you take God out of the out of your life, everything starts to crumble and they're like and they're getting more and more people on board with this. Yeah, I think it is ultimately a movement of rupture. It cannot build or unify or create anything. It can only divide. And I think we even see that with the rupture of our bodily meaning. Um not not just in the transgender movement, but in the sexual revolution that you know to tell women and men that, that there's there's nothing that they can't do with their bodies so long as they have consent is basically to tell them that their bodies don't have any real meaning. Um, and if our bodies don't have meaning, then we don't have meaning. And so I think that's why we see such despair is because people sense this on some level that there there's no consequence, there's no meaning to their lives, but they're feeling all of this guilt or these wounds or these things that they don't have a moral vocabulary to articulate and to contextualize. Um, and so there's no, there's no redemption. There's no mercy. There's no forgiveness. There's no growth. Um, and, and that's, what's so sad about it, is that it fundamentally is about nihilism. And that's why I think we have such a society societal problem of loneliness and despair. Well, and that's why, I mean, I think your book is so well-written because I think what it does, you, you explain it and you arm people to go out to talk about this, right? When you, when somebody, dis, you know, you deny natural law, you deny truth, then you deny Jesus, then this stuff is inevitable, right? I mean, just the other day, a guy won 
the Miss Nevada contest is going to be representing Nevada in the Miss America pageant. Yeah, it's it, yeah. ESPN had a cover story too about it. The first, I think, openly transgender, non-binary, and the article was so bizarre. The the writer kept using he, she, and they interchangeably throughout, and I thought this is such a symbol of the confusion and the chaos, you know, that is in this movement. Well, and we just had what an NFL player come out and said he was gay. Who everybody is celebrating, you know, they're proud of him. I mean, that's the society that we're in. I mean, you know, 20 years ago, if somebody would have done that, it'd have been like, whoa, whoa, this this person, you know, there's a problem here. Uh, and now it's yeah. we celebrate it. The problem is anybody who speaks out against this. That's why there really need there there is such uh, a need for courage wisdom, right? Gifts that, you know, that we've been given to go out there and to speak these truths, because as you said earlier, silence is not an option, is it? No, it's not. And I think that people really want, you know, our human soul longs for truth and goodness. We are made for those things. Our intellect wants the truth and our, and our, and our, and our will wants the good. Um, and so even throughout all the distortions, I think people are really suffering and, you know, there's a there's a point where, you know, we have something that's plainly true and it's recognizable to, you know, to, based on our, just our human nature as well, um, that there is a better way. And so I think that, you know, we can have a lot of confidence in that, that there is that there, we have gotten so confused and so off track that some simply pushing and pulling away the weeds and sort of simply and, and kindly kind of presenting something, a different path. People are hungry and thirsty for that. And we have we have that on in spades. So I think that can give us confidence. Yeah. And I think for, you know, someone listening who has family members or whatever, you know, it's almost like they're denying what their eyes are seeing, you know, whether it's Antifa or Black Lives Matter and, you know, kind of the anarchy that's going on in the world and, and really are glomming on to this false narrative. And so they really, you know, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. And I think people need to trust their eyes and trust what they see, not not the narratives that are being out there trying to convince them, oh, this is all good. And this is, you know, the, the ends justify the means. I think that's right. And and I think you're, what you're pointing to is also can feel overwhelming because it does seem like there's so many lies out there and so many distortions and we're all just siloed into our alternative realities. Um, but, I, you know, I think that knowing people personally and through the avenues of friendship, genuine friendship and the goodness that that implies, those conversations can happen naturally and organically. Um, and then if we're called to fight the fight in a, you know, in a bigger way, then, then we, we should be ready for that as well. Um, whether through the channels of law or, you know, writing or schooling or whatever. Um, but yeah, each person will be called and asked to, to combat this to some degree in some different way. Um, and I think we have to be ready for that. Kind of the third part of your, the four parts of the book, you talk about the sexual revolution, thought, speech control, education, activism. I mean, these are all things that we are seeing, and those are all places we can fight, right? We can't change how we speak. We can't call a he a she or a she a he, because again, it's a denial of truth, which is a denial of Jesus. We need to understand when we send our kids to uh, school, you know, whether it's K through, you know, eight or high school or especially college, you know, you send them to a place where they're going to get the truth, not get thrown into that quagmire without any floaties and said, hey, I hope you can swim. 
Yeah, the schools have really escalated things. I mean, including Christian and Catholic schools. I wrote a piece for the Register, National Catholic Register recently about this, and I've been hearing from parents all over the country. But I think we're even seeing, you know, public and private schools, parents really rise up uh, in a way that I think is really hopeful, you know, that there is, it's such a grassroots effort. And this has been such a top-down corruption of the educational system, you know, without parent involvement really at all. Um, It's really an elite um, sort of, infiltration of all of these institutions, not only the schools, but the media and, uh, you know, popular culture and Hollywood, all these, you know, and politics. Um, And and so the grassroots effort is probably going to be the way in which most people get involved. Um, And, 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 but also there are a lot of people who are creating, trying to create new institutions, new move, you know, I talked to a Catholic filmmaker and he, he really has, you know, interesting ideas for how to, kind of reclaim the arts in that way. And um, there's a lot of energy and I think in t- in, uh, ability and talent that's being devoted to this that can give us a lot of encouragement. I guess the good news is evil always overplays its hand, right? It, it's never enough and it's always got to go more to the extreme. Um, but we're not at the extreme yet. It just doesn't feel like it, it just feels like uh, things that continue building momentum. But I will say, I agree Parents are starting to speak up. I mean, if you watch, you know, Twitter or you get on social media and you see parents getting up at school board meetings, I mean, heck, even Bill Maher is is getting irritated with if what he's seeing out there. So there are some cracks, but it really is something that we need to speak up on uh, the educational. Don't send kids to school where this kind of stuff's going to happen. Um, and it is scary because our kids are going to grow up in a are, are, are growing up in an environment that, you know, we would have never dreamed it would have happened this fast, at least myself. I don't know about you, Noel. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. Their kids are growing up with these messages everywhere. Um, and so the, it, it just makes it all the more crucial, as you say, to pay attention to what's happening at their school and pull them out if the school is intransigent and, and doubling down on this type of thing. Um, and either homeschool, there's great schools around the country. Um, you know, I, I know it's no, no small task to move somewhere for a school, but I do think it's that important that that has to be on the table. Um, but also just to form our family lives in ways in which the spirit of our family life creates a lot of um, a really positive thread in the kid's life so that they see, well, my family believed all these different things, and but but they were beautiful and they were actually good. And they, you know, they helped me improve. Um, and I love my family. You know, that these, these, these connect the, the catechesis of the kid children happens far more deeply, I think, in home life than anywhere else, just the simply seeing their parents lead a life of virtue and, and love. Um, and truth and courage. And so that effort is utterly important and maybe more important than ever right now when the culture is so at odds with what we're trying to pass along to them. Well, I think that's, that's a great point because that's the, the, it starts in the home. And so people don't have to go out and get on NBC or Fox or whatever. I mean, maybe that happens, but do, do the fighting at home. And I think, you know, towards the end of your book, you talk about you know, the individual, you talk about the family, you talk about the city of God. I mean, those, those are the things. And I think that's, you know, when you read the book, you're like, holy cow. But then at the end, you, you provide a lot of clarity in terms of, look, this, this is what you need to do. This isn't rocket science. Yeah. You know, I mean, in so many ways, I feel like the movement, the woke movement makes people anonymous. It makes them unknown. It reduces them. It makes them, you know, a piece of a mob or a piece of a crowd. The family and the faith really do the opposite. It's where you're deeply known. 
which is horrible and wonderful, right? It's horrible because you have to see your faults, you have to see your sins, but you it's wonderful because you get to contend with them. You get to struggle and approve. Um, but it's that intimacy of knowing that gives you a wholeness to your life where you're not bifurcated, you're not existing where you're just accusing everyone else and like swept up into political tribalism. But rather, the church and the family invite you to look at yourself through the, the sacrament of confession and examination of conscience and through just the intimacy of family life. And then through that process, develop a humility and self, you know, ability to understand your need for a savior and then look upon the others with more mercy. Um, so these are really the avenues that are utterly diametrically opposed to what the woke movement is trying to do. Um, but they're the only it's the only route to true happiness and true wholeness in life. Well, and in the end, that's your support system, right? I mean, to go into this battle and ignore your support system and try to go it alone, that that was never what we were asked to do, right? We were, you know, the family, the earthly trinity, Father, you know, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph were the model, not, hey, we need a bunch of Lone Rangers running out there. The Lord was pretty sharp. He knew what we needed. He meant us to be in community. And I think that's what they've done is that as they destroy the family, they give it's like a, a, the analogy I, I use somewhere is that it's, it's they want to give you a facsimile of the family. But it's almost like not having a family life and joining a gang, you know, that you have this kind of yep. uh, veneer of loyalty and community. But it's all based on a, uh, unity of, by guilt, you know, and um, the, 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 the hammer is hanging over your head, too, in case you if you betray, you know. Um, yeah. So I, 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 so I think people want to be in community, um, and we've been given, you know, what that community ought to be—a church or the family, um, and and natural friendship. Uh, so, so the more we build these things up, the more that the the alternative, the facsimile that that's false, will look like a lie. Yeah, and I know you talked about Mary Eberstadt in your book as well, and she's talked about—I've had her on the show talking about. You know, all these things have been burbling up in Portland, you know, where this homeless community came together because they were right. They didn't have family. And so they've created this Antifa. They've created this, I guess, surrogate family that is nothing but anger and violence and hatred. When in reality, they're just looking for that love and nurturing. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And that bonding through having suffered um, you know, I talk in the book about how we don't know how to suffer well, and so we suffer loudly, you know, and, and, and yeah. I think that that's, there's a bonding that happens in, in, a, in a disordered way when it's built on let's bond through our suffering and through our anger and through our accusation. Um, and that's, I think, so much what I see in Antifa. You know, these people look like people who have suffered and seem like that. You know, obviously, if you're going to become violent um, to that degree and so blatantly that there's some deep wound there or some, you know, way in which you've been exploited. Um, but, that, but that's how they, they're bonding. It's through rage. You know, it's not through love. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.